Welcome to another edition of the Smart Podcast, sports medicine and related topics. That's Smart SMRT. I'm Chris Raby, along with my co-host, Dr. Jason Young. You can find Dr. Young at Advanced Orthopedics on Clayton Road in St. Louis or at his website, jasonpyoungmd.com. If you have questions or thoughts that you want to chime in with for the podcast, feel free to email us, smrtpodcast at gmail.com, smrtpodcast at gmail.com. This week, we visit with Dr. Brett Winchester, a chiropractor who currently serves as the team chiropractor for the St. Louis Cardinals and also uh, teaches as well as practicing at Winchester Spine and Sport. You can find Dr. Winchester and what he does at winspineandsport.com. We appreciate Dr. Winchester joining us. And without further ado, this week's edition of the Smart Podcast. Work it, make it, do it, make sense, harder, better, faster, stronger. Work it, harder, make it, better, do it, faster, make sense, stronger, all that. Dr. Brett Winchester is our guest on this week's edition of the Smart Podcast. And, uh, Brett, first of all, thank you for joining us. Was was hoping right off the bat you could just give us a little bit of background, where you grew up, how you got into doing what you're doing now, and your path. So take it away, and we'll go from there. Yeah, perfect. Well, thanks for having me, uh, Chris and Dr. Young. So I am uh, originally from the Chesterfield area. I went to Lafayette High School, did my undergrad at University of Missouri, studied business, uh, probably about three fourths of the way through, decided um, that I was considering to be a chiropractor. So went to Logan College of Chiropractic, uh, which is in Chesterfield, and then um, 16 years later, here I am. So I still teach a class there, and I'm still heavily involved uh, at the college there. Um, went on to start uh, a couple practices. My main practice is in uh, Troy, Missouri. So we have uh, it's about seven thousand square feet. We have uh, it's multidisciplinary. Dr. Young spends a little bit of time there. We have uh, training. We have obviously treatment going on, and uh, that's kind of uh, that's kind of my story. So as far as baseball goes, um, I'm part of the Cardinals medical staff. So uh, my role there is uh, kind of multifactorial. So one of the things is I provide treatment every day uh, at the stadium. But the other thing is um, we train our whole staff from AAA, AA, single A um, in different concepts of rehabilitation. And uh, one of those is uh, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, which is so basically I have to plug that in throughout the whole system. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of my story. You know, so it's almost like the Cardinals from the major league level, they teach base running a certain way and they teach defense and alignment a certain way uh, for their infielders and they want uniformity from the big leagues all the way down to rookie ball so that when you're coming up you're doing things the same way so it sounds like on the medical side you guys are doing the same thing within the organization yeah i think um, our head trainer adam olson he is just he's really done a great job so we really have i think we have all the right pieces in place so really kind of the um, new team we have. We're probably about three years old as far as like when they reshuffled everything. And uh, we're, we're all real excited. So all of us that are involved and uh, like I said, Adam's done a great job. And um, yeah, we're, there's a lot of things. It's kind of an ongoing process, but um, we're trying to get it all implemented through all different levels, which uh, it's challenging, but it's, it's definitely a fun challenge. Well, I think one of the, probably the most interesting things 
along my training was, you know, we went through medical school, we went through orthopedic training, um, and you learn the nuts and bolts of your craft and hardly, I mean, as I look back, minimal exposure to even the basics of the rehab side of things. Really? So here you are spending, taking care of patients. You're in the ER, you're in the trauma bay, you're doing surgeries, you're studying operations, you're studying how to manage them postoperatively in terms of their clinic. Um, you know, you learn how to write a rehab script and send them to physical therapy for two times a week for six weeks or what have you. And I didn't really understand or, or grasp at any level until I got to fellowship training. And when I went out to Stedman Hawkins in Colorado, what I wanted to get out of that was I, well, number one, I wanted to stop, uh, carrying a pager and being called into the hospital <laughs> all the time. And, and, you know, when you go to Stedman Hawkins, the main, the main requirement is that you take care of the athletes. And so you're around the, the Rockies and the Broncos quite a bit. And so I, I just looked at that as an opportunity. And so when you're in that training room during training camp and, and, uh, during spring training, um, I just, I was, I was just in awe of the players interaction with the chiropractors, the massage therapists and you know, like the Broncos, for example, they would have, and we'll talk, I want Brett to talk about this a little bit, but they would have three different chiropractors who each emphasized three different modalities, three different specialties. They had Dr. Leahy. Like Leahy yeah. yeah. I mean, they had Leahy's very big and active release. Um, and then they had, you know, traditional, um, you know, manipulation and stuff like that. And, and the guys, the athletes never wanted to see us as the orthopedic surgeon, you know, because that meant they were hurt, right? So we never had a line out the door. But when, when we called it guru day, when the gurus like Brett were there, those guys lined up 20 players deep to get treatments done. And that was, I was like, what? This is amazing, you know? And, and so I learned by watching them. I learned by talking to the on-site, you know, because most of the, most of the teams, you know, have not only athletic trainers, but they have physical therapists, chiropractors, massage therapists. I mean, you name it, they have it. And it's just an unbelievable part of the rehab. And it's, it's multidisciplinary, but you know, and, and maybe, I don't know, Brett, did you guys, when you go through your chiropractic training, I mean, did you get exposure to surgeons and physical therapists and the other side of the Pendulum? Um, I mean, I guess I was a little frustrated. Probably not like uh, we should have for sure. But I think the one thing I've learned like in sports medicine is there's literally a spot and a space for all different disciplines. And um, I think like the one thing that's really interesting and curious for me is just being able to get um, everyone to their functional capacity. So my experience has been very rarely do we even have like our top you know, All-American athlete or Cy Young Award winner actually at their own capacity. So really what uh, I look at my mission, our mission as a team is to make sure that every day we have them at their functional capacity. So, and that, is, that can be a daunting task. So, and then of course, knowing our limitation when we've changed all the function correctly, but it's still a structural issue. And then we need, you know, obviously a surgical intervention, but even after they have surgery to be sure that we've come back around and be sure we've fixed the function so that way we can, you know, prevent uh, further relapses. But um, I would say 
like in our team, it's it's a really a good setup to where I think everyone feels like they're kind of lateral to each other, and you know we we all use each other really yeah, well. So that, I mean that's incredibly important. And um, Missouri is just a tough state in the sense of integration, you know, for for non professional athletes. So you know, my patient who has a rotator cuff surgery could totally benefit from not only the physical therapy, but the chiropractic treatments and the massage and all those, those modalities. And in, in, in Missouri, it has to be a la carte because there's no real location where all of those things are, are integrated. And a lot of it just has to do with, it's just not, it's not legal for it to all be in one office. Um, whereas in Stebbin Hawkins in Colorado, in, in, the, in the clinic, you know, aside from the professional sports teams, just in the clinic alone, physical therapist, Athletic trainers, chiropractors, massage therapists were literally, you know, arms within arm's reach of each other. So if a patient, you know, needed some dynamic stabilization work or needed some releases done, they simply switched tables and went over to the chiropractic table and got that done in the course of their rehab. And it's just, it's just a, it, it's a fabulous concept. It's just much harder here because you have to, you know, travel to get all those, those different types of treatment. I think too, it's easier said than done, as you know, I mean, even like, uh, when you have all the best people in, um, in a spot, it's hard to still, you know, communicate with everybody. So that's what, you know, even at my office or at the stadium, and we all are constantly working on is how to carve out time to talk about our cases and everybody talk about, you know, the different things that they can offer, bring to the table. I think it's, it's hard, you know, in, in today's uh, as busy as everybody is to make time to, to you know, make those uh, connections and relationships. But, yeah, I, I 100% agree. So give us an idea of <clears throat> how you see um, the fit and, and how all of you guys work together. Because I know especially baseball, when you're starting in February and you're going to October and it's every single day, one of the things that all teams, including the Cardinals, have focused on is injury prevention and yeah. trying to get out in front and trying to figure out a way to be on the cutting edge to make sure that you're not dealing with guys that are constantly recovering from injuries. So how does that work on your end? And then how do all of you guys fit together working alongside uh, the trainers and, and the strength coaches and give us an idea of just on, on kind of a day-to-day level how that works, Brett? Yeah, so um, two years ago, the Cardinals headhunted a guy named Robert Butler who's a PhD from Duke. So basically, Rob's job is to basically objectify everything that we do. So from like single A, double A, triple A to the major league level, we have like all kinds of functional information for um, all our players, basically. So come spring training, we have a pretty good idea of like where our, our weaknesses are in each player. And that doesn't always mean that they even know what their weaknesses are, you know, because uh, professional baseball players and athletes, they're because of agents and other things, they're very cautious about like getting information about them that may hurt them, you know, down the road. So, um, but like I could, if we look at our 25 man roster or 40 man roster, I know like every player, like their particular weakness, when I get my hands on them, what we need to do. And we have really good communication amongst the physical therapist who's Thomas Knox. Um, our trainers are amazing. So we have Jeremy, Chris Conray, and obviously Adam Olson. So we're always talking and trying to improve the system. I think the one thing that has really changed in professional sports in the last five years is um, the diet and what we call functional medicine. So I think um, 
for for the most part, I think 95% of our players eat better than 95% of Americans, you know, so they eat really, really well. What we would, you know, consider to be like a paleo diet, which is basically uh, meat, fruits, vegetables, nuts, eggs, no dairy products, no grain, no wheat, you know. So for the most part, I'd say our players do really, really good on that side of it. And then um, the strength and conditioning is integrated really well into the training room also. So we always kind of have a pretty good idea of um, even what's getting done in the gym, what we're trying to do in uh, rehabilitation and what we're trying to do at the treatment. So it's all integrated really well. Could it be better? Yes, it could always be better, but that's what we're, that's what we're shooting for. And I think, honestly, I think we do a really good job. I, uh, before I started with the Cardinals, I consult with a lot of other major league teams. And then I see a lot of the opposing players. It's kind of a small world in what I do. So when other teams come in, a lot of times I'll work on other players that I know and, um, or other connections. And I think, I mean, we're right at the top. I mean, like, I think like we're, we're pretty proud of what we're, what we're creating. And I think, uh, uh, if we look at other teams, I think we're, we're doing a really good job. So what is this, um, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization? How do you explain that to me, me <laughs> or yeah. Um, you know, our folks who, I mean, cause it's, a, I try to preach this in my office and I try to really simplify it even for our folks who sit at a desk all day mm. or, you know, are CEOs of companies and they're in and out of meetings and why does it matter to them? Yeah, so what's so amazing about human beings is we are just compensating machines. So what ends up happening in our body, like if we have a bad shoulder, you will start to recruit like the wrong muscles and your neurologically inhibit or shut down other key muscles. So uh, what dynamic neuromuscular stabilization does is it teaches the brain not necessarily to strengthen the muscle that's weak, but how to turn it on and reintegrate it into function. And we see this throughout the body. So um, no matter what the example is, the body will always have a way to compensate. Even if we have something wrong with one of our internal organs or viscera, like your body can always compensate or adapt. But sometimes that's, you know, not exactly what we want, even like in uh, the Tommy John surgery. So like if someone uh, has a Tommy John surgery and they use the extensor carpi ulnaris, so they use a, a tendon to repair it, give it five years and that tendon then will take the principles on of the ligament that was previously there. So just a really good example how the body is just always wanting to compensate and adapt. So to kind of sum it up, what DNS does, DNS teaches the brain how to correctly recruit all the muscles around the joint. So we see because of previous injury, because of sedentarism, because of whatever the reason might be, we compromise the system. It's, very, it's a very delicate system. So we, the job uh, with DNS is basically to use different exercises to teach the brain how to correctly stabilize whatever joint we're talking about. So that's, that's one option. The other way our athletes get hurt in baseball is poor throwing technique. So what's, <laughs> it's kind of hard, but like if we look at the present-day Major League Baseball pitchers, almost 90% of them are probably throwing in what we call the non-ideal stereotype. So... Uh, and another thing that I do, we call it gestalt performance. We look at injured pitchers and what's happened in baseball, which is kind of a strange trend is since the 1990s, um, a couple gurus were teaching a certain way to throw a baseball. And what it's done is it's uh, like basically produced the epidemic of the UCL rupture in a Tommy John surgery. So we've done right at about 1300 surgeries, Tommy John surgeries since the first one. We did the first one in 1974. Frank Job did it on Tommy John. So since then, if you look at the graph, you'll see in the mid-1990s, we had a huge spike in Tommy John surgeries. 
So basically what I've, I've looked at every single person who has t uh, torn their UCL. And so we have videos and we look at still shots and we can bucket and group these group of pitchers and we can see what has led them to that problem. Now, of course, there's other variables, but if we look at 300 game winners, so if we look at all the 300 game winners, so they've had duration and success, they all do all the same things also in, the, in a good way. So what's really difficult is in my job or like if we're looking at um, uh, professional pitchers is would you make a change is a key question, you know. So like if you've had one Tommy John surgery, we can um, have them have that repair and they can have seven years and they can, you know, do great. It's been a um, really like a medical marvel. The surgery is done amazingly well. Um, so they can still be throwing in the wrong stereotype, have their Tommy John surgery and still make $30 million a year, you know? Well, you, I mean, you hear now about guys like, you know, if they're in their early twenties, for instance, it was Alex Reyes who had to have it at the beginning of last yes. year, mm -hmm. at least in the media, sometimes you hear, oh, well, he got his Tommy John out of the Over way. With. Yeah. yeah. And it's all... I yeah. know that you can never assume how a guy is going to bounce back. It would be but great if it was that it's easy. Almost, yeah, yeah, it's almost like, well, I finished well, undergrad, got got done with that, you know? That's And that's just such a, you know, it, it's a hard message for, for our youngsters, too. Because no doubt. that is where I, I really struggle with the just the amount the young kids are thrown. And, again, they're not mechanically sound. And the number of them coming into the office asking for that operation and, you know, you know, Brett can probably better than I talk about, you know, if you're if you're 15 years old and you have your Tommy John surgery, um, you know, what's the likelihood you pitch in the big leads? You know, um, it's it's I don't know of anybody, but now, there's a know. joke in the industry. If you want your son to pitch in uh, Major League Baseball, do not have them pitch until they're in high school. There's exceptions, it. like I, like the one that jumps out was Play shortstop. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. So you need to be throwing a ball. So it's really important, like to have the right torsion of the humerus to um, for pitching to have the the right amount of external rotation. So you need to be throwing a ball, but you probably don't want to be pitching. Right. So the the Kyle Loge is the one that sticks out at me as far as like. Um, he, he he pitched from when you know little leaguer little leaguer yeah. was a stud. Yeah. But across the board, what you'll hear out of major league baseball pitchers' mouths is, yeah, I started in high school, started pitching in high school. They were always good baseball players. It's really fascinating too. Like on our team, I think I counted up one day. You'll have they're just these guys are just neurologic savants. Like yeah. uh, like for example, Tyler Lyons is a great example. So like you can't even get him to talk about it, but he's was an all-stater all Texas quarterback. Football. Yep, won't even talk about it. Yeah. You know, like or, these guys are the stallions. That's why I was, you know, they're, they're the freaks of nature. The stallions. They're Jed Jerko could have played D one yeah. basketball. Amazing athlete. Yes, like right. thirty points a game in high school. Yeah, yeah. we just heard all that. You know, in Super, Seth Manis Super Bowl is a scratch Sunday. golfer. Yeah, yeah, with Foles. I mean, he was a oh. exceptional athlete too. And 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 that's the thing. I mean, just even for our folks who are listening, who who just like to run or work out. I mean. All these neuromuscular stabilization techniques and concepts, I mean, those are the same things that drive you, you know, all the folks come in who run 15 miles every week and come in, nothing really changed, but they come in with an injury, which propagated from some hip weakness that they finally couldn't compensate for, which led them to, to some knee pain, which ends up in my office. So we, we spent a lot of time talking to them and kind of backing up and saying, hey, you know, this is probably from some core weaknesses. 
Um, yes, we're going to focus on the tendonitis that you got, but you've got to fix these other things to be more effective at what you want to be doing. I mean, and, you know, people that come in with, with shoulder pain and they don't, they're not throwing a ball, they're not even going to the gym, they're sitting at their desk at their job, but their posture has led them to get shoulder pain. And so, I mean, it goes, you know, not only from the professional level, all the way down. And, and the thing that always struck me, and I don't, I don't know if all the guys are the same, but, you know, I, I remember being around Brian Dawkins and some of these Hall of Fame guys in the, in the training room. I mean, when they get that far into their career, I mean, these guys know their body. And I think, you know, they, they know when something's off, something's tight. Um, and I, I just always found it interesting to, to watch them come in and see you guys and say, you know, I'm feeling something in my low back and I'm, I'm just, you know, I don't feel like I'm getting mobility there. And then they would sit down and work with you guys. I mean, I feel like there's some guys who really are in tune with that. It sounds like Tom Brady's like that too. He really presses this pliability stuff, oh, and, yeah. you know, yep. and he's really into, but that's, Hey, this guy's 40 years old. He's playing, you know, and, and he's the MVP. <laughs> so clearly there's, there's, there's a role for that. And, I mean, maybe talk a little bit about how, you know, how some people can pick up on it and maybe, maybe that's because they've had so many treatments along the way that they start to notice. Yeah. So the treatment know. helps. So one thing about um, professional athletes just across the board, one, they'll do something every day that will just blow your mind that they'll think is no big deal. And you're just like, holy, you know, you just can't believe it. But anyways, I, I kind of consider them to be neurologic savants in that, like, um, one of my buddies that uh, I teach with at DNS, he worked extensively with Yamir Yager, who now, he just officially left, so he's 45 years old, and he's going back to he's play. Still play. He's still playing somewhere else, though, right? Yeah, he's going, I think he's going to play in, uh, in Russia. Hometown. Back yeah. in yeah. Russia, yeah. yeah. But anyways, insane. so he told his story, so he would take uh, five hockey sticks, they were all a millimeter off, that's it. And he would go stick handle, hit a couple shots. He'd come right back to the boards, and he could line up the sticks from shortest to longest. They're one million off. You, we couldn't recognize 500 millimeters. <laughs> yeah. Same thing, like, um, I live, my practice is in Troy, Missouri. We have the best water skiers in the world come out of Lake St. Louis, Missouri, of all places. And I'll go ski with them, and they're the same way. Like, they'll, if I'm driving the boat, they'll say, scoot over literally one inch, and I will literally move over a millimeter, and you'll see them, like, give me a thumbs up. And they can feel a difference in the water. Or like our pitchers will be, I love the pitch, I love the mound in City Field, but I hate it out in San Francisco. Yeah. You and I, we'd stand on the mound, we'd have no, no idea. idea. And yeah. then like the bat, the bats are the other crazy thing. Like they really like if even if like they get the bat from whoever's making their bat, and like the company will say, oh, it's you know this amount of ounces or this length, and they can feel it when it's not right. You'll Same, see them stand in the clubhouse, look at them. And they'll toss five aside, not going to yeah. use these. Yeah, I'll sign those, put those, you know. Give and they're them usually, I mean, usually they're they're right. Yeah, and their their intuition is is correct. It's it's mind boggling. I remember back in the day, I built uh, uh, David Freeze's orthotics, and it was so interesting for him. Like I, I was just blown away as he described to me exactly what he wanted his foot to feel like. And you know, when he digs in, like on his back foot and the right foot. He literally drew a picture of where he feels load in his mind. And um, I realized right then and there, I mean, these, we call them neurologic savants. Like they can feel their body way better than you and I can. And that actually um, has huge neurologic implications because the better you can feel your body, the better you can use your muscles to explode and to relax. And you brought up Tom Brady. And 
Um, if you listen to his book, I mean, uh, or read his book, you'll see one thing that's really important for him is his ability to keep his muscles loose and to be able to relax. And that's also one of the really important things. I always tell a story when I was in the locker room one day, when I first started with the Cardinals, everyone was out at batting practice. And I, I thought I heard like one of those industrial gym fans outside. I'm like, what the hell is that? So I walk outside it was one of our relief pitchers, and basically they were doing a, one of their warm-up drills. I wouldn't have agreed with it, but they were doing it, basically going through the pitching motion without a ball. And the sound that that pitcher's arm was making literally sounded like one of those industrial fans. <laughs> so I remember I went back, and then I, that's what really kind of got me on to the, what we do at Gestalt Performance. I'm like, all these people out here think they're improving um, throwing with these drills, like they're not even close. Like <laughs> this throwing is like, it's basically like when you throw a baseball, there's 285 pounds of distractive force. It'd be like swinging a kettlebell, you know, like you have that much force literally wanting to dislocate your shoulder. It's actually the most violent movement in sports is throwing a five ounce ball, ironically. So um, having everything be exactly right, and to be honest, it's all about timing for pitching and hitting, and they're just like savants with being able to feel and uh, explode their muscles. I guess you're not a fan of the towel drill. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got to respect that they're doing that every two months trying to come back. That's another guy who I remember growing up, there was an article, the Cubs coming off that 2003 season in which they almost made the World Series. There was an article on the back of the Chicago Tribune sports section that Mark Pryor has scientifically perfect mechanics. And then he goes and hurts his shoulder and I would is out of 100% baseball. Dis- like I taught a uh, seminar this week and I use Mark, Mark, Mark Pryor as an example because whenever you can pick on the Cubs, you do. But um, no, I, w- I would, like he's in my bucket of people that if, if so Mark Pryor, he could have been, you know, an All-American Cy Young Award winner in five different throwing stereotypes. Unfortunately, he learned in that generation that I was talking before. So right out of the glove, what he's going to do is he's going to go elbows toward the sky, and oh, that is the yeah. fatal timing flaw that that we see. So um, what we well, do is he, you know, it's one of those things. If he if he if he tears his UCL and has Tommy John surgery, he could probably yeah, come back his shoulder. But when you tear your rotator cuff as a pitcher, it's it's a totally different ball game. And yeah. I just I just yeah. saw him at the winter meetings, and he looks like he could go and play tomorrow. You know, yeah. like six yeah. four, and they do great. I mean, you know, yeah. That, I don't those think anyone <laughs> that have had rotator cuff surgery like it's it's a wonderful operation. It's just one in which the <laughs> return rate for goodness, a pitcher man. is not yeah. good. Well, yeah. I think too, like you see, like um, so, Kerry Wood was there at the same time. So, like you look at his i mean he went from uh ucl to shoulder problems to torn meniscus toward like so these fragile athletes you know what i, I always call it an autopsy so we basically need to say um either there's something musculoskeletal or there's something in their mechanics or they have the fleas and the ticks and you got to do both so let's say they're in the wrong stereotype so let's say mark Pryor's not willing to make a change which i get it i mean you're you're a stud, you're doing awesome, you know, and if we do make a change, then he may not be as effective. So um, then we need to really handle him carefully from a rehab standpoint without him even knowing it. Because the last thing I would do is tell somebody you're in the wrong stereotype. I would never say that. But like there's other guys like Dan Winkler for the Braves. He's on his third Tommy John. I bet like at that point they'll listen to you. So then but these guys are so great with their brains. What I believe is there, there's no one better in the world to make a change and throw in a different stereotype yeah. than them. So well, they, I mean, that's what, not to switch sports, but I mean, that's what Tiger Woods is doing. 
No doubt you know about it. I mean, it. he completely he learned another the most violent swing. golf swing <laughs> and was incredibly successful with it, but it tore up his body. And now he is going by feel and he's trying to come up with a new way to swing the club and hitting but, the ball further than he ever yeah, has. So it'll be really too. interesting and to no see. Coach. It's going to no be no coach. The, yeah, and that's, you know, that's the thing. Like, the, you know, with the pitchers, I mean, Brett, can these guys make that change just like in the offseason? Or do you, um, do you take bits and pieces? How do you do it? So what I would have told you five years ago is let's not change them. That's what I said. <laughs> now, like, um, I, I am, I guess I've been shocked at the ability for them to make a change. So um, because, again, they're so great with their bodies that they, they're able to, to make that change. So. Um, again, and like that's what we can do. We can like literally look at everyone who's pitching, and we can kind of bucket them. And what I like to do is I like to say high risk, no risk, low risk. Yeah. Like for example, I love uh, Carlos Martinez's mechanics. Like he's got just beautiful pitching mechanics. Um, so or another like guy my, who wasn't a pitcher until late in his teens yep. after he was a converted shortstop. Yeah. He is a gifted, gifted human being. Um, the one that I like the most mechanically, who I use in all my pitching seminars, is Tom Seaver. He has got the most gorgeous, beautiful mechanics, does not put himself in a bad position at all. And they called him old drop and drive Tom Seaver. He'd have, he'd have a tear in his pants at the end of every game because yeah. he was literally in that much of a lunge when he was, you know, when he was pitching, so... I wonder about, you mentioned Tiger and the balance between strength work and work in the weight room mm -hmm. um, versus your body and not putting too much pressure on your body. And a lot of people said that Tiger got so into his upper body, essentially, that that's what killed his back. I know people point to guys who come back every year and, you know, last year or two years ago it was Trevor Rosenthal came to spring training just looking huge and people wonder... Does the player know best for their body or sometimes is too much time in the weight room too much in terms of then where you need to get to and the positions you need to put your body into to stay healthy and to perform? Yeah, it's. I mean, that is like the million-dollar question. So the thing is, it, it is okay to have a little bit of bulk on you, especially for sports, as long as it's not taking away any of your extensibility. And that's what Tom Brady has really you know, made everyone aware with him is that um, we have to be very, very careful in our training uh, protocols that we don't do anything that's going to like um, take away the extensibility of our of our muscles. So um, that is a very, very fine line. It depends on the sport. So golf and baseball, we don't really need muscle or armor on us from a mass standpoint. You like see a guy need... like Ricky Fowler is like 140 pounds dripping wet. Absolutely. Yes, and yeah. like I five mean, six. And it's, a, it's a stop and go. Or Justin Thomas. They're stop like, and go sports. Speed, yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you know, back in the day, they, they ate hot dogs and nachos in the clubhouse in between innings. And, you know, obviously everyone's becoming more fit and more healthy. But to what, to what extreme do you take that? Yes. And I think I, I don't have any inside scoop on, on Tiger, but I would say, I mean, just looking at him. He definitely has lost some pliability and and oh, yeah. his ability to rotate and and then, you know, like we've been talking, then that just transfers. It transfers to your knees and to your hips and to your back. You know, and so, um, you know, I, I was I started to catch up a little bit on on Tom Brady's little video uh, series, and I think the last episode they were they were all working out and and uh, doing drills, and Tom was teasing some of the wide receivers because they were going to go to the gym and lift weights. So, I mean, it sounds like Tom doesn't even really do that much 
significant strength and conditioning, no. you know. Not like from a traditional weightlifting sense. Now yeah. he is spending hours a day on working on pliability in like key areas to yeah. stabilize himself. But um yeah, I think I mean they showed him example. working on his throwing motion. Like he goes out to California, goes out to LA with the guru and they interview Tom the, House. Yeah. yeah and, and and they're like, look, you know, most guys are coming out here to get, you know, get their last five percent. Like Tom's coming out here to get a half a percent. And he was sitting there just working on trunk rotation and his elbow position. And he's about, you know, he's at the end of his career and he's still, he's still looking for that edge. It's just, it, it's, it's unbelievable. His, um, his mental side, like very few people on planet earth can give their best performance on the biggest stage. Very few people, whether you're in business, whether you're in, you know, usually like the anxiety of the situation will overcome you and you won't give as good of a performance. There and I know we he lost the last one, but I mean, but it was the, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, he game of the year, yeah. yeah. It, but I mean, I think too, like everyone talked about like the Patriots culture, the environment. And if you notice going up into that game, they had a huge breach in their environment, you know, they had um, Kraft and Tom and Belichick were supposedly not getting along, and then you had the issue where the um, the corner or whatever didn't play, so that like divided the locker room ten minutes before the game. This is all stuff that would not have happened before, and I think it bled over into the game. I really do. Um, but I, I will. I think Tom Brady is the most amazing mental athlete we have ever seen, hands down. As far as like being able to will the people around him into you know, what he wants. It, it is just unbelievable. I mean, Michael Jordan was also fascinating. So was uh, Wayne Gretzky. But um, but for football, to do it for that long. Oh, it's amazing. Well, and with, to make, with this rotating cast of guys Oh, I know, yeah. It does, yeah. yeah. I mean, it just seems like any year, you know. Doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter. You know, even the beginning of this year, you know, it started out great. Welker goes down. Yeah. yeah doesn't I matter. Mean, you know, they trade. Belichick trades a third of the team, it seems like. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And Nick Saban's the same way. Oh. Like, yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, some of these athletes, I always like to compare like Kobe Bryant, for example. Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan, both very, very successful athletes. Kobe Bryant, though, nobody wanted to play with Kobe. You know, so, and I mean, whether he will admit it to not, all he cared about was in the next day to see in the paper that he scored 40 points. So whereas like Michael Jordan made everyone else around him better, Kobe Bryant just did not. And uh, because of that, they have, they're two totally different athletes, both very successful. But um, the really great ones like the Tom Brady's, the Jordans, um, the Wayne Gretzky, they make everyone else around him. Like Scottie Pippen, he leaves the Bulls. What happens? Nothing. Well, they're just, they're just, it's, it's, they're just so fine tuned. They slow the game down. Yeah, that's and they that's see good, things yep. that other people just can't see because it, it, everything's just going too fast for them. But that's that's what we always talk about. We always talk about. We've had several episodes where we talked about concepts of kind of that grittiness um, and and that dedication to and, and that passion about something that you do. I mean, and, and these guys, if you watch some of those snippets, I don't care whether you hate the guy or love the guy or whatever, but it was really interesting to me to watch some of these Tom versus Tom videos. The guy works his tail off. I mean, watching six hours of film Video, yeah. every day and getting treatments and, you know, they, sh you know, show him on his, you know, nice lavish vacations, but he works out every day on those trips. You know, it's, it's, it's true grit. 
Well, and I mean, in these athletes, there's a dark side that no one ever talks about. And that is like, you have to be a little bit obsessive compulsive. And usually for most people, something, Tiger Woods is the best example. Something's got to suffer somewhere else typically, because when you go, you know, all eggs in on whatever basket that you're in, then, uh, Unfortunately, there's a. There's you got to be a little crazy. You got to be a little bit crazy. You know, yes. they are. You know, the one guy who, and I'm sure he has it, but I also marvel and think that, especially in the States, maybe doesn't get the attention that Brady or LeBron James get. But seeing what Roger Federer just did at the Australian Open Absolutely. and what he does with his body, especially in those majors, and granted, he, he cruised through that thing, but. To play a two-week tournament and play every other day in five sets, and you're on the court for three, four hours sometimes, and he's in his 40s now and had to take off half of last year because of back issues. And then to put the cherry on top just seems like about the most likable guy in the world. But just like, how are you doing this at this at this age? And then you read about where he trains, and he's training in Dubai, and then he's doing altitude training in Europe, and then he's going, um, you know, warm weather places to hit, and he's... Always got someone try like they said he was in Bali on a family vacation. He's going out and, and hitting every day for three hours. You're like, it's not a coincidence <laughs> right. that you're that good. Yeah. And maybe the drive is different, or maybe he seems more likable, especially in tennis, because he's always smiling after he beats the hell out of whoever he plays. But another guy on the other age of forty is just absolutely dominant in his sport. Dominant. There's nobody even that close right now if you get him on the right surface. He, maybe Nadal and he's almost forty two. Right. And uh, one of my buddies, he works uh, with Roger quite a bit uh, oh, as far as treatment and awesome. training. And um, so what he said was like one day they were at the, the Davis Cup, and so Nadal was playing Federer. And he said for a second he just closed his eyes. And you hear Nadal just like stomping around the court, like giving 110% maximal effort and with grunting. every ground And grunting. <laughs> Roger Federer sounded like a cat, like a gazelle. He's like you, and at the end of this five-set match, Roger didn't even barely have a hair out of place. You know, like so he didn't um, even he doesn't even sweat. No, no he's playing. It, no. And <laughs> then he reinvented. So his his kind of his Achilles heel was he wasn't like a great server. So like you know three years ago he now he's an amazing first server. So like that's been the big difference in the last three years with Roger as far as. Uh, well, that's you know, the thing. The bigger, they're constantly looking for reinventing. the yep. edge. They just, it's that its that half a percent. Like, if I can just get my service a little bit better or, you know, my pliability better. I mean, you know, a lot of the guys, too, come out, you know, pretty green. And and they, by the grace of God, they make it through four or five years in the league. And then they start realizing maybe they have an injury. Maybe they have something pop up. And then it's like, okay. And then they start tapping into eating healthy, taking care of their body, and then they start looking at those kinds of things. I mean, that's I mean, Tom Brady said it in his in his uh, his movie is just like, you know, if I would have been doing this all along, oh my gosh, I don't know where I'd be. Well, you, you know, know? It, it wasn't that long ago that Doc, you walk into a major league baseball clubhouse and there's fast food out or guys oh, are yeah. eat, eating pizza forty five minutes before a game. That Absolutely, was, you know, seven or eight years ago, it wasn't even that long ago. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and then the beer consumption after that might still <laughs> yeah. happen. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think too. Like, um, I think the the really amazing things on the on the really good athletes and just people in general is whenever they run up against a roadblock, whether that's like a torn ACL or an injury, they take a step back and they instead of like woes me and my career's over, the real great ones like Tom Brady, they're like, 
you know, I need to make this. This is going to be a catalyst to make me the best in the world at what I'm doing. This sucks that I tore my ACL, but this is going to make me a better athlete. And I'm going to use this to propel me into being an even better athlete. And I've learned the really good athletes have that mindset. And the ones, uh, the other ones, like I said, they just, you know, kind of bag it from that point on and they're unable to, to make that comeback. So. Well, Brett, it's been great, man, chatting with you. And, and if folks are, are curious, too, um, we didn't really even get into uh, the benefits for for people just in their everyday life. But if they want to find out more about what you guys do and uh, what you do, what's the best way for them to, uh, to find out? Yeah, so my office is called um, Winchester Spine and Sport. Like I said, we have a location in Troy, Missouri and Eureka. And then um, as far as all the baseball stuff, it's called Gestalt Performance. So Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Yeah. Fun chat. yeah. Thank Thanks you. for coming by. Yep. Thank you to Dr. Brett Winchester for joining us on this week's edition of the Smart Podcast. Again, we're always looking for your questions. Going to have a mailbag edition of the podcast coming up. So if you've got anything for Dr. Young, email us, smrtpodcast at gmail.com. That's smrtpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Dr. Young. You can find him at his website, jasonpyoungmd.com. And again, Advanced Orthopedics is at 8225 Clayton Road. For Dr. Young, I'm Chris Raby. Another edition of the Smart Podcast in the books. We'll talk to you next week.